0: J.D. Sherman remembers giving a talk to the company early on in his tenure at HubSpot. He talked about his experiences at Akamai and how they became a billion dollar company within a decade. He felt HubSpot could have a similar growth trajectory and he shared that with the team. He thought it would get everyone pumped up. The response? Meh. As J.D. says, HubSpot has always been a mission-driven company governed by first principles that guide everything from market focus to product development and everything in between. That mission? To help millions of companies grow better. Now, to you, that might sound like jargon, but to HubSpot, it meant going wide instead of moving upmarket like everyone else in SaaS. It meant over-indexing on their employee experience so that everyone is comfortable and better positioned to serve the customer. It also meant focusing more on the impact of the customer and less on becoming a billion-dollar company. As you'll learn from this conversation with JD, when you wonder how HubSpot has done it, start with the first principles. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini and I'm your host. So for people that maybe haven't worked in big companies, aren't working in bigger companies, tell us what the chief operating officer at a company the size of HubSpot tell tell us about what that role and what you know what it is that you know what are the things that you do all day, JD?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of chief operating officers for various companies and it's a, it's not, there's not a standard role. Like the chief financial officer is a pretty standard Mm -hmm. role. The chief marketing officer is a pretty standard role. Chief operating officers can kind of be a catch all type of a role. Um, But the way I think about chief operating officer, and I have since I started at HubSpot when we were a very small company is I'm kind of responsible for the operating system of the company. Um, What I'm directly responsible for is the product organization uh, and -hmm. all of the sort of company functions. Um, And and then we have a chief customer officer who's responsible for all the sort of customer-facing organizations. But I think about my overall role as like making sure the company is operating well and that we have an operating system and a culture that enables people to get their jobs done, to come in. We give them a lot of autonomy. We make sure that they understand the guardrails and have the information and the data to do their jobs. And then we need a system to sort of monitor and hold folks accountable and, and let people get their jobs done. And really that's sort of at the core of what I think about every day.
0: Right. And so again, in a company of that size, like how does that differ from like the founders, so like Brian, Darmesh, you know, what kinds of things are they working on, you know, that, that's different from, from your focus?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so Brian is the CEO, you know, CEO, obviously the buck stops here with the CEO and he's responsible mm-hmm. for everything, but he primarily, I would say is our strategic driver. Like Brian and I have found a really nice balance where he's the sort of uh, visionary, uh, sees what needs to happen and figures out the direction we need to head. And then I'm kind of the balance of like, that's never going to work. We got to do, we have to do (laughs) it slightly different or yes, I think we can make that work. And I go off and do that. Um, And that's sort of the balance that we've struck. One of the lessons we learned early on was we thought that that was going to be like a really clear differentiation like when I came in Brian would be the out Mr. Outside and I'd be Mr. Inside. That doesn't work because you can't have a 100 0 and a 0 100 sort of split of opportunities. So the way I think about it is sort of Brian is like 80% strategic, 20% operational and I'm the reverse. And that way, you know, I participate a little bit in the strategic direction of the company uh, but mostly worry about how we execute. And Brian obviously you know, drives the strategy, but he has to worry about how we execute as well because those two things are so, so linked. And Darmesh is very interesting. He's sort of our, the way I think about Darmesh is he's our uh, conscience. Uh, he's our conscience from a culture standpoint. He's our conscience from a product standpoint. Um, he just has a ton of insight and he's just so valuable to the company. He actually does, doesn't have a single direct report and he likes it that way. Um, and he doesn't have a single sort of direct responsibility in the company, but at, he serves sort of that role as our conscience. And I think he and Brian find a really great balance there. And the three of us, uh, you know, we sort of make that work as a company.
0: That's a great, the, the conscience. I was I was gonna say like, when I think of the heart or like the soul of HubSpot, for, for whatever reason, I always think of Darmesh and the culture mm-hmm. decks. And yeah, you know, a lot of the articles that he's written over the years, whether they were on startups, or medium, he always comes to mind. Like uh, when I think yeah. of the just like the heart and the personality of HubSpot, I just think of Darmesh.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. He's a he's a first principles thinker. You know, we'll, we'll get going every once in a while, and we'll come slightly off track, and he'll pull us back on first principles. But one of the things that Darmesh has done really well, uh, and encouraged everybody to do, is like he you you could argue that he's the soul of the company. But what he's figured out how to do is like make the soul of the company something that's inside the DNA of HubSpot rather than an individual or a set of people, right? The soul of HubSpot kind of exists across the organization. It's really remarkable. Sure. Like that culture that we have, uh, you know, it's kind of in our DNA. What's amazing when we're growing as fast as we are, we have 3,500 or so employees now. Half of our employees have been with the company less than 18 months just because we're growing so fast. And yet the culture feels really, really healthy, just like it did three, four, five years ago. So something has happened where we've sort of embedded that into the way the company operates.
0: Right. When everybody was in Cambridge, um, it was, uh, and, you know, the team was much smaller than it is now. Um, it does feel like HubSpot still has, you know, even the folks that I've interacted with that are, you know, newer or, you know, uh, based in Dublin or based elsewhere, like they it feel like they have that HubSpot. That hubspotiness, uh, yeah, for lack of a better word, um, somehow so I we think figured it, that out. Yeah, yeah, I think HubSpot, Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, it can't be just one person. Yeah, that, that, that's figured that part out. That's organizational why, but it, it's it's impressive how that's kind of ma- maintained its consistency over the years and uh, as you've grown. Um, you were mentioning, you know, the the really the core the core responsibilities and your focus as an operations officer. Um, but tell me about—I mean—you have thousands of people, you know, on your team, right? Yeah. How do you even begin to manage that many people? How do you yeah. break down the company's vision, which you are obviously an active part of creating? Like, how do you break that down, you know, throughout yeah. the rest of the company to make it actionable? To to make you know, hold people accountable, set targets for people and individuals and teams. Like, just just talk about yeah, how sure. that all works.
1: That's you know, that's a. A big challenge as you grow as a company and the natural inclination when you get into that world is to sort of build up a hierarchy or like an autocratic process where mm-hmm. I feel like I can manage everything that's going on in the org with a, with a tops down hierarchy. We really have resisted that approach at HubSpot. Instead, what we've done is we've sort of used the culture and its strengths as a way to scale. And, and the word that I always talk about is autonomy. Like what we try to do, and what I try to do with my, with, with my team, the folks that run the organizations for us, is hire really great people, coach them well, but give them a lot of autonomy and make sure that they understand the guardrails about what they're trying to accomplish, the, the direction we want to head. Uh, and then really just encourage them to use good judgment, sort of empower them to uh, get their job done. And we, we, we've done a pretty good job, I think, of pushing that all the way down in the organization. And there's kind of a, you know, we joke about, we talk about flywheels for uh, the way you should operate and grow your business. There's a flywheel that happens there too, because all of a sudden that job becomes a really great job and people are inspired uh, by the job and they, they grow and do that. And then you can recruit really good people because it's exciting to work in that type of environment. And then of course, those good people tend to want to learn and grow and be part of a culture and you just get that sort of operational flywheel spinning, as I like to think about it. So, you know, I, I try not to think about, oh, my goodness, we have 3,000 people. How are we going to get make sure all these people are doing the right things? Instead, I turn it around and I say, what can I do? What can Brian and Darmesh and all of our leaders do to make sure that those folks are empowered, they have autonomy, they understand what their guardrails are, they have the data and the, the tools to get their jobs done? Um, that's the way we think about it.
0: Talk about the recruiting and the in the coaching aspect that you talked about because obviously there's there's a lot of companies that have resources similar to what HubSpot's able to do, uh, but HubSpot seems like like I was just mentioning a minute ago, very consistent in the type of talent that you develop, um, whether they stay at HubSpot or leave and you know start other companies. It just seems like the the talent level at HubSpot has always been really 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 high. So what goes in like why why has that been so consistent? From a recruiting and coaching standpoint, what is HubSpot doing different?
1: Yeah, well, I do think, you know, back to that flywheel analogy, it comes down to uh, how you start. Like if you have really great uh, talent and leaders who care about hiring really other uh, other really good people and are picky about it, uh, then they'll hire really good people and those people will hire really good people and you can get that, that flywheel going. It the the death knell for a company is when you start to you know when b player they say b players hire c players well that's that's absolutely uh-huh. uh the death knell you have to be super cautious about that and you have to be super picky um uh, and if if we ever feel ourselves falling off of that um that curve we you know we check ourselves and we say wait a minute is this is this going you know do we do we see an organization where some of that is happening and you know you have to make some course corrections there that are sometimes painful, because um, it's never fun to let let people go. Um, but the it's pretty important that you put some focus on that.
0: Right, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think every organization makes mistakes. And I'm sure HubSpot's no different when it comes to hiring. But yeah, it just seems like the the level of consistency um, is 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 high in comparison to other companies, whether yeah. it's in Boston or just in the SaaS space in general. Yeah. Just and we, over, like
1: yeah, and we over, yeah. And we invest in our employees. To be honest with you, like most people would be shocked at the level of time and care and uh, effort we put into making sure that our employees are happy and feel like that we that we're an inclusive environment and a place where they can come be their authentic self. We just spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about it. Um, we have uh, Katie Burke, our awesome chief people officer. Yeah. Is just she just spends so much time on it. She drives us in that right direction. Uh, I believe, though, that that really pays off. It pays off because our, our uh, employees then care about the company. They care about our customers. And so I think, you know, you I, like I guarantee if I came in now uh, as an outsider to be the chief operating officer, the first thing I would, I would scratch my head at, over is, wow, you guys really over-index on uh, your customer or your employee experience relative to your other constituencies. But I think it pays off.
0: What what does that mean? The just the employee experience, like what what does that look like?
1: You know how we get it starts from when how we recruit an employee, like the experience they have with recruit from recruiting. Do they actually see a diverse slate of recruiters and and get comfortable that you know this is going to be a place they they want to be? When we onboard them, you know every employee goes through a, a rigorous onboarding process where we teach them everything there is to know about. The company, and we invest in making sure that they feel uh, welcome and are ready to be productive right away. Uh, the feedback we give the quarterly on a quarterly basis, we get feedback from our employees, and we act on that feedback. We talk about it all the time. Brian and Darmesh and I we we really spend a lot of time communicating with employees, uh, both you know through company meetings and our wiki, but also just on an individual basis. So. You know, we spend a lot of, it's just, it's become really natural for us to do that to the point where, to be honest, sometimes I wonder, I wonder if I could take a little bit of that effort and just point it towards the customer a little more. Like I love to see us focus even more on the customer. But I think as I step back and look at the whole picture, you can't really take care, good care of your customers until you've taken really good care of your employees.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do, but you know, thousands of employees that feel valued and you know, comfortable in their environment are going to have a huge impact on, on customers in the long run. Right. Uh,
1: yeah. And what happens is custo- our employees will do the right thing for their customers just instinctively. Right. Um, and they'll call us out if they're in a situation where um, they're not in, you know, where we're not putting them in a place where they can help the customers. We we had this problem a couple of years ago with, and we called it our sharp edges. Like there were a lot of places where dealing with HubSpot because of our systems or because of our rules or because of the incentives that we are giving our employees but we're creating sharp edges for our uh, customers. And, you know, some of our employees called us out on it. And we're like, you're absolutely correct about that. This just doesn't make sense. One story that I always like to tell is I was talking with a uh, customer success manager. So this is somebody who takes care of uh, customers once they sign up. And of course, they have a great relationship with their customers. They're talking to one customer who is due for a renewal, um, but they, you know, their renewal window had passed and um, they were unable to uh, to downgrade like they wanted to downgrade because they're in financial difficulties. And uh, the the customer success manager said, sorry, you can't do that um, because you're past your renewal window. And, uh, she, she was telling me about this and she was practically in tears because the customer said, okay, you got me, those are the terms and I'm going to renew, but I don't ever want to talk to you again. I want a new customer success manager. And to me, that was like, holy smokes, that was my fault for setting that situation up, not her fault. Um, and you know, we fixed that immediately so that, so that our customer success managers have no incentive other than to make sure their customers are getting what they need.
0: Right. Right, yeah, that's that's important. That's a that's a tough story, um, especially for the folks on the front line. So, yeah, I've been in that position before where, uh, you know, at, at previous companies where the CS team sort of helps drive that approach. Um, the sport team, account managers help drive that direction, you know, based on the interactions they're having with customers. And, yeah, uh, they can be frustrated. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I've yeah. seen that firsthand and how that can – drive in, in a good company how that can you know change the sure. approach or drive the direction and well that's what I yeah. That. yeah
1: that's what I mean by operating system. Like we had an operating system that had a bug in it, right? That uh, there was a, a thing that happened in the operating system which was basically that our uh, customer success managers were their incentive was on how many of their customers the dollar renewals of their customers. Makes sense, right? Like logically, you know your job is to do that. But it created a point of friction for our customers so you kind of have to keep your eye on that operating system and what it's driving and always be uh sort of checking on it another technique that i use along those lines is whenever um whenever i have to make a decision it's usually because it gets escalated to me like one group thinks we should do x and another group thinks we should do y and certainly that's my job as the chief operating officer to make a bunch of those decisions so I'll do. I'll make the decision, but I always afterwards ask myself, why did I have to make that decision? Was it a problem with uh, alignment across the company that two folks weren't on the same page about what our overall objective was? Was it a problem with the team not collaborating because uh, there's some kind of friction in in that going on, or was it actually a decision that just required a lot more thought and uh, you know it was a smart one for all of us to get together and make? That's the kind of thing you have to think about and always be sort of a uh, particular as a chief operating officer, always be aware of what uh, the behavior of the company, what, what the behavior of the company is and, and what seems to be driving that. And is it, is are you getting the results you want from the
0: operating system you've created? Right. That's smart. Yeah. So you're not just addressing the initial question or decision. It's more about why, why it came to you in the first place. Exactly. This would be a helpful exercise. Walk us through the, the process for how how like how hubspot makes strategic decisions so you were mentioning before like brian Halligan, ceo drives a lot of that um you know i've read uh allison elworthy wrote a great blog post on medium geez must be like two and a half years ago now that, that i found i think it was from 2017 um about the m spot and the three-phased approach there and how the executive team you know would take time away from the office to come up with you know the strategy and and, and walk through that so just talk about how a company as big as hubspot make strategic decisions and maybe the role that M-Spot has played in that and how that helps sort of phase it out across the whole company.
1: Yeah, sure. We have this sort of funny rhythm as a company because we have our big event called Inbound, as you know, every year. Um, And what happens is we're all working up to Inbound and we stay pretty tight. And I'll talk about how the M-Spot drives us or that. We like all sort of get zoned in on what we're trying to accomplish. And we usually have a plan right up to Inbound where we tend to launch products, et cetera. And then right after inbound, we take a deep breath and like our plans start to oscillate all over the place. Um, we start thinking, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. Uh, and we, I've jokingly called this tuna season because we like to use nautical <laughs> analogies and I'm a big fisherman. Like this is when you go out and you try to catch the tuna. You decide where you know what, what are the big things you want to go after and do. And then we all get together on that and we sort of for, out of that, we boil it down to what direction do we want to head? And then we, we craft that into what we call our M-SPOT, which is an acronym for mission, serving, meaning the constituents that we're serving, uh, the plays we're going to run during the year, the omissions, the things we're going, going to leave out, and the targets we're setting are for ourselves that tell us whether we're on track. Uh, and once we boil that down, that's when the oscillation stops and we get the company really, really focused on those three plays um, or four plays, you know, we have, it's usually three to five plays this year. It happens to be three. Um, and you know, we, then we execute really well around that. And that's a really important document because everybody in the company needs to understand it so that they understand their overall role. But what's important is the sort of layering of that. So you start with a mission and that mission you want very, you want to change very rarely and really only tweak. So our mission is we want to help millions of organizations grow better. There's a lot to that statement. We really obsessed about that statement because it sort of directs all the strategic decisions we were going to make as a company. Um, and so that's we spend a lot of time on that first M in the M spot. Uh, and then you want to keep an eye on who you're serving and remind yourself that you, know, you're, you have customers, you have partners, you have employees, and you have shareholders, and you're going to have targets that you want to uh, achieve for all of them. And then you, underneath that, you want to put the plays that you're lining the whole company around. And, you know, if you do a good job of that, almost everybody in the company can see their role in those plays. You know, there are some things like if you're, uh, you know, in, in sort of uh, AR or pay, pay, payables and, you know, accounting, maybe it's not quite the, the same, but 99% of, of employees can find their role sort of in those plays. Uh, And then the other thing we really obsess about is omissions because when you're a company like HubSpot with in a growth market, with lots of opportunities, we spend 20% of our revenue on engineers developing new software. You could do almost anything. You're more likely to die of overeating than starvation, as we like to say. So it's really important to say what we're not going to do. Like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. We could do that. Not doing it in 2020. That's a great idea. Not doing it in 2020. So if you're working on that, stop, don't do that anymore because we're going to focus on the, the areas that we're trying to make progress. And we basically run that on an annual cycle and, and try to use that to keep the company aligned.
0: Right. Um, and tell me about these uh, these nine hour helm meetings. What are they and what's the output of those? Those are a,
1: those are from, uh, from peach days. We don't actually do that anymore. We've kind of outgrown that. The other thing about an operating system is every once in a while you have to upgrade it just like an actual operating system that was getting way too cumbersome. Back when I started, we had once a month, nine hour, we called it HubSpot executive leadership meeting helm. Um, And seven or eight of us would get in a room for a day and we just sort everything out. And that kind of worked because there were seven or eight of us, we could all get together on the same page. And then there were call it four or 500 people in the company. The, The group of us could go out to our teams and say, here's what we decided today, right? That worked doesn't really work anymore now that we're 3700 so what we've done is we've sort of aligned ourselves in what i call pillars like there's one pillar that's uh the product pillar which is their job is to build awesome products that customers are going to love there's another pillar that's the customer pillar which is make sure that the customer experience is awesome with uh, hubspot and that's led by our new chief customer officer uh, yamini Uh, and then there's the company pillar which is be of service to our employees and the other pillars in order to create great results for HubSpot. And, you know, uh, I kind of lead that with, with Kate Bucher, our, our CFO. And what we do is we now have a quarterly business review for each of those pillars. And we spend a day sort of reviewing how all those pillars are doing. And then we've kind of pushed down that sort of monthly cadence right into the pillars. You know, sort of uh, sure. delegated that down a level so that we can be more agile as a company with almost 4,000 employees than one with 400.
0: Right. Working across how many offices now in SubSpot internationally? You know, uh, we have 10
1: offices, believe it or not. Wow.
0: Wow. So you, you talked about how you developed these pl- the plays and, you know, you developed the focus for the overall company. In terms of developing the actual execution of that is that more bottoms up do you present this to directors managers and they work with their teams to to sort of come up with like the best ways to you know to to execute these plays like how does how does the actual execution happen what's like the nuts and bolts of that yeah
1: it's it's actually totally bottoms up brian and i always joke about how you know literally we have no power inside the company in fact one of brian's favorite things to say is if i were ceo this is what i would do because the fact is like uh, you know, we try to drive and and we joke about it, but it's really important that um, it's a, we have a a very bottoms up culture. We set that's the back to the M spot framework. We set that framework as a leadership team and that's a little bit tops down, but everything else happens bottoms up and we've built processes inside the company to sort of enable the teams to build their bottoms up plans to tie to that. Uh, It's, you know, it's a little more cumbersome to do it that way. Like I think back to my 15 years at IBM, which had, you know, 400,000 employees, you really couldn't do it that way, but we could get a plan done and a budget done, you know, very quickly and then just push it into the organizations. But what we were terrible at was getting feedback from the organizations about that'll never happen. We're not bought in on that. You guys didn't factor in X, Y, and Z. Um, and so it was difficult. To, like uh, that plan, that plan was sometimes, you know, dead on arrival. It just wasn't going to work. Um, so you know, what we've, as I talked about at the start, we're, we've tried not to be hierarchical and autocratic in terms of the way we do that. What we've tried to do is provide goals and guardrails to the team, a lot of autonomy. Um, and part of that, by the way, is recognizing that people are going to fail and make mistakes. And we're totally cool with that. We even celebrate it as long as you're not making the same mistake over and over again. Um, But it's really important for the way HubSpot operates, that we, that we aren't tops down. And in fact, we're very bottoms up.
0: Right. Uh, and, And so how is that process? Like, how do you, what's the accountability look like? How do you review data, review performance data as a company? I know Pete had mentioned to me, Pete Caputa, yeah. Mentioned that uh, when he from his days at HubSpot, every department would sort of have their own monthly deck yeah. that would kind of surface its way up to you. You would present like a company deck. Uh, yeah. Is that still how that process works? Yeah, we have. Um, a,
1: sure, we've we've modified it a little bit again from the days of being a smaller company, and we build it around this uh, these quarterly business reviews. So on a on a monthly basis, we have what we call the monthly management report. Um, and in that deck, which is probably, we, we have sort of two versions of that. We have the first version that comes out two days after a month is over. And that's a pretty high level view of real time data of what we're seeing. And we have a small meeting to go through that. And in that meeting, we basically look for exceptions and figure out if there's anything we need to go deeper on. And then about two weeks into the, the next month, we, we create a, ma- a management report that's a lot more detailed, that's probably sort of uh, along the lines of what Pete's talking about, where it's sure. detailed by, for each, or, each part of the organization that exists in a combined document. And so that's our monthly cadence. And then on a quarterly basis, we go a little deeper by product uh, or by pillar. You know, one one looking at the customer pillar, one looking at the product, and one looking at the company. And there we talk about, and that meeting we want to sort of be seventy percent. I call it seventy uh, percent accountability and thirty percent fog clearing. So basically, things change over time. What you want to do is you want to look at how plays are going, um, and are we on track? Not on track? If we're not on track, what are we doing about it? Do we have? Do we know what's happening? Do we know why things are going wrong? Are we are we taking the right Uh, actions to get them back on track and then the other 30 minutes or the other 30 percent of that meeting is like okay here are some decisions that we're making some areas that are foggy there's maybe a little uh we need to clarify this because uh it's either across you know cross company we're we're out of alignment and so we we spend about 30 percent of those meetings talking about those types of issues and, you know, that we've sort of developed that into a nice quarterly cadence. I got that idea, by the way, from an awesome meeting I had with Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn, we got to go sure. to visit him and we did a field trip out to, uh, Silicon Valley and including LinkedIn. And I kind of stole his operating system there. Cause we were at a point where we were sort of breaking as a company with the old operating system. And I sort of adapted the way he thought about quarterly business reviews to the way HubSpot operates.
0: Was that sort of around the same time that uh, the executive team met with folks at uh, Facebook too? Uh, yeah. The, the, that same post uh, that Allison Elworthy uh, wrote about uh, how the folks at Facebook said they only hit about seventy percent of their goals. Yeah. Uh, because if they if they hit eighty or ninety percent, they feel like they're not pushing aggressively enough, and that sort of influenced HubSpot a bit in in how you approach goals. I mean, that was two and a half years ago now, but yeah. it, like, how is that still? Is that still a behavior that that HubSpot tries to instill in terms of goal setting is if you're hitting too much of it or if you're hitting the goal if you're hitting 90% of it maybe you're not being aggressive enough?
1: I that's absolutely correct. Yeah. In fact, what we do every year is we go on a, a field trip we call. It. We go to the West Coast for our board meeting and we try to talk all these awesome companies into hosting us and we go pick their brains on various topics and we literally get on a bus like a school like school kids <laughs> and drive around and go visit Facebook and LinkedIn, and Google, and uh, you know, uh, Atlassian and Dropbox and all these cool companies, and we—it's amazing how open they are to sharing, um, and we've learned so much from them. Intuit is another great company that we've learned a lot from, uh, and that's where we sort of picked that kind of stuff up. And Alice, Allison definitely mentioned one of those things. And the way I think about targets in general is exactly that. Like when you're when you're setting out your plays, like a play this year for us is. Fuel the flywheel, right? We we try to net it down to that. And what that basically says, we want to take the friction out of our flywheel for our customers in terms of how we deal. And we have some pretty aggressive targets for that. And I'd be very happy if we hit three quarters of those targets. There's another set of targets, like for our shareholders of like, we're going to, this is the budget that we expect to hit. And those are sort of like meets minimum. Those are, I think about those targets as guardrails. Like we're going to do all this awesome stuff for our customers and our employees. Our guardrail is we have, we have some targets that we absolutely must hit for shareholders. And we always think about it that way.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So uh, HubSpot, I mean, years ago, I mean, really started as like an SEO and email tool. Yeah. Obviously, since then, the the, I mean, the products essentially does everything now. Launch a CRM. There's a free plan. There's an app marketplace now. Um, I mean, since your time there at the beginning, like, has this all been deliberate? Talk about the the vision, really. Since you started, has this all been deliberate? Uh, is it more of a sort of response to the market that you know HubSpot you know saw uh, you know trending as you went along? Like, Just talk about the overall product vision, how that's evolved, and, and really how deliberate that's been.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I think what we've done is sort of stayed true to the, there are sort of two observations that Brian and Darmesh built HubSpot on. One is that the way people live, work, shop, and buy is constantly changing and evolving and had changed very dramatically back when HubSpot started, but people weren't keeping up with it in terms of the way they sold to them and marketed to them. Um, That was one. And so that continues to be an evolution. The second one was when you look around to pull off that new playbook or for marketing and sales, it requires a lot of tools and um, software and a philosophy and an approach and training and everything that's hard, particularly for mid market businesses to keep up with. And so HubSpot wanted to step into that gap and provide the tools so that millions of organizations can grow better. That's sort of the way we think about it. So initially, that was about inbound marketing and the tools mm-hmm. around being successful with that. That expanded uh, into marketing and sales because we and even uh, customer service because you know what you see now is um, the word of mouth and and the way customers talk about you uh, in the marketplace is actually even more po- important than your marketing. And so we've extended the world to that. It also sort of informed the way we have uh, changed our go-to-market model to be more uh, product-led and freemium because people want to try before they buy today. They want to get started for free. You have to take Uh the friction out of the, the process for them. It's, as Brian likes to say, how you sell in today's world is why you win, not necessarily the best product, but the best customer experience. So all of that's sort of been on a continuum of us focusing on how can we help millions of organizations grow better? And along those lines, there've been points where we could have very easily made decisions to go in another direction. Like when I first got to HubSpot, I have to uh, admit this uh, uh, on myself: is I just assumed that the right thing to, for us to do was going to be to take our software once it gets good, because it was crappy when we joined. When I joined, you know, ten, eight, or nine years ago, uh, once it gets good, start selling it to larger and larger businesses. That's what every software company does. What we decided at a pretty pivotal pivotal moment for the company was that's not what we're going to do. Instead of going deep with marketing automation, we're going to go wide and be a platform for millions of organizations to grow better. And that meant instead of lots and lots of depth on our marketing automation tool, we're going to start adding a CRM. We're going to start adding a a customer service product. We're going to add a a CMS uh, hub, et cetera, et cetera. That was a huge decision. Um, that uh, was sort of counterintuitive for the way most software companies operate, but it's really worked out for us.
0: Right. Yeah, I would say so. Um, uh, and uh, that really goes back to the first principles right, yeah. that you were mentioning before, um, about like, you know, cha- you know, helping companies adapt to the new ways people are buying products or researching products um, and helping millions do that. So, that's right. yeah, that's... It's interesting how, you, how you're you sort of governed by those first principles and maybe not necessarily what's what's trendy or what, what's yeah. worked in the market previously. Totally.
1: Or what would be smart to do. We always joke like, yeah, the obvious <laughs> thing to do is like, let's do the exact Move opposite. The market, yeah. yeah, let's do the exact opposite.
0: <laughs> right. Um, HubSpot has a number of growth levers too at this point, right? There's inbound marketing, the content playbook, which uh, HubSpot is, is famous for, sales, the partner channel, upgrades, cross-selling new products. Like, there's so much complexity there. How do you, how does the team sit down and plan out and model out the company's performance or goals based on all those different inputs?
1: Yeah. Uh, there definitely is a lot of complexity as you get to be a company like this. There's lots of levers and lots of, uh, of gears turning. And so, you know, there's always going to be one or two gears that aren't working exactly like you'd like, and you have to stay focused on, on execution and, and, you know, have a great operating operating system for that. But I do think it comes back to what you were talking about before, which is sort of first principles, like let's make sure that if we're following our first principles of helping millions of organizations grow better, staying focused on those mid-market clients, the way our tools work together, they're easy to use the customer experience and adopting them gets better and better. All of those kind of things sort of guide everything else we do. So then when you start to think about uh, our solution partner um, network, like, wow, that's so important to customers as uh, we think about how they adopt um, the inbound methodology, how they use our software, how they're successful. Um, the, the plays we're doing around the ecosystem and opening up our platform for app partners, like that's so important to the way customers are. Pulling in everything and using HubSpot as the platform that they're going to grow better. So it's sort of all guided by those those first principles. And and uh, the the place where you can really make a mistake, and I've seen lots of companies do this, uh, is you go off in a in a tangent that doesn't sort of fit those core first principles of what you're trying to accomplish as a company. Very very difficult to do that, and, and it's not something that we want to do as as a company either.
0: Right, and, and I just feel like how do you I mean, HubSpot consistently, I feel like, hits and exceeds, you know, targets based on what you set, you know, given all those growth levers, what do you attribute that to, um, just HubSpot's ability to continue to to continue to continue grow, to co- continue to consistently hit and exceed yeah. the targets that you set? How, what do you attribute all that to?
1: I, I always joke, I think it's two words, executive leadership. No, just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's going to be the soundbite right there. Yeah, dude. yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: No, I always joke. I always, in fact, anytime anything goes well and somebody asks me, well, what, how'd that get, how'd that go so well? I would, the first two things I always say are exactly, <laughs> but the fact is it's not at all. It's, it's, um, you know, you, you basically, uh, it's the culture of the company that just, uh, that is just a driven to success and driven to making things work. And, you know, you, the, one of the things that, uh, you know, and I learned this lesson the hard way too. I'll tell a little quick story. When I first got to HubSpot, I was just, I had just worked at Akamai, which is an awesome company. Um, and when I worked at I started Akamai, they had about $200 million of revenue, and we got to a billion dollars of revenue. That was just a, a watershed for, for Akamai. We were so excited. I got to HubSpot, it had about $20 million of revenue. And I stood up at one of the first company meetings where I was uh, given a, a talk and I said, Hey guys, listen, uh, when I joined Akamai, we had this moonshot goal that we want to be a billion-dollar company. And, you know, we said we'd do it in by the end of the decade, and sure enough, we did it, and it was awesome and all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm here. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm standing up, and we're going to have the same moonshot goal for HubSpot. We're going to be a billion-dollar company by the end of the decade. And I was just like, oh, this is so great. People are going to be so inspired by this. Uh, the feedback was basically like, eh, you know, who are we Who are we helping if we do that, right? We are a mission-driven company. So one of the things that I learned the hard way was what, what HubSpotters care about, and it's just part of our culture, is like helping millions of organizations grow better. So if we can align our targets and our goals and our plays around that and hire the right kind of people and set them uh, in a place where they can do their best work, that's how it happens sort of fundamentally. There's no secret sauce. It's like really hard work. Um, But you have to sort of build the fundamental underpinnings uh, to drive the execution that you want.
0: That's interesting. There's a specific uh, person that's going to succeed at HubSpot or or do well. That's yeah, folks that are driven by the mission rather than like you, like you mentioned, maybe that. Yeah, and and I tell you, the company. Yeah.
1: One observation I have is like from the types of folks that I worked with and hired twenty years ago to the folks now, like great employees. Are mission driven. Um, the 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 types of folks that you're trying to hire today, particularly the, the you know the the millennials and and that that uh, sort of grouping, uh, they care about what your company is stands for. And if you don't react and respond to that, it's going to be first of all, it's not going to be a great place to work. Um, but you're not going to hire and retain the very best people. So, you know, at the core of all this stuff is what's your company's mission and how do you care about your employees and your customers? It's just, there's no substitute for, for that. When you, you can't build, in my view, you can't build a, a really successful company unless you have those two things as foundations.
0: So obviously I can't let you go without asking you about the pandemic that we're all currently in. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast a year from now, you're like, Oh man, that's such old news. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. That. Well, let's hope. Um, so obviously, HubSpot is, has been remote friendly, as we were talking about before we we started recording. But this is different. Like everyone, uh, you mentioned, HubSpot had like three hundred some odd remote workers. Now you, now we joked, now you have thirty seven hundred because everybody's working remotely. Yeah. Um, everyone, not just at HubSpot, but everyone is basically at least in, you know, uh, you know, anybody working at B two B and it, like is, has been forced to work remotely basically overnight. So talk about those challenges and yeah. how HubSpot has handled them.
1: Uh, I think it's been pretty seamless actually. Although i say, you know, it's gone well, like we've executed well. I, my hats are off to our IT teams, facilities teams, our HR teams, like some of the stuff that they've done is just remarkable to keep employees sane and productive and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I'll say personally, I just miss everybody. Like it, <laughs> it's a fun place to work and like interacting with everybody. is not quite the same over zoom or, or teleconferencing. Um, and so I'm looking forward to uh, getting back to sort of a, a normal world where we can spend some time in the office. I will say, and I predict this both for HubSpot and the world, is we're all learning lessons in this uh, mm-hmm. in in this time about how work gets done and how work needs to get done. And I have a very strong feeling that providing flexibility to your employees in the future is going to be even more important than it was in 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 the past, we've always been pretty good at that. I think we're gonna have to really double down on that. Like one of the things, as I was telling you before, is I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this, we have a big group of our employees who decide that they wanna still primarily work remotely because it worked out better for them and their family situation. They didn't have to drive to work, their carbon footprint gets smaller, all those things that that really matter. And we're gonna wanna accommodate that. we're gonna be excited about accommodating that. Um, and just building it into the fabric of our culture and the fabric of how we work together. First
0: principles. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly right. Hub, HubSpot's not anything if it's not consistent, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, JD, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for, for being so open and transparent. Um, and yeah, I mean, I learned a lot just, just from chatting. So thanks for coming on and, and sharing so many stories, the behind the scenes stuff, it's, it's super fascinating. For, for a lot of folks that have been following HubSpot for, for years to, to hear a lot of this, so thank you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, it was a lot of fun.